Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is great to see everybody. I do not have the nine o'clock to flesh out all of my raw thoughts today. So uh, we're gonna jump right in. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth and somewhere uh, in those days that followed, he created uh, mankind. And he said, I've created mankind in my own image. And he has created us and called us to uh, rule with him, to reign with him, to continue and to contribute in what he has created and made. This is what gives dignity, dignity to human beings, to each of us. It's also what gives uh, dignity to our work and our worth and what we bring to the world around us. And what we all know and what we've all experienced, and we've been talking about this for the last uh, few weeks, uh, is that the world is broken and you don't have to look very far for evidence of this. Um, the last you know, few weeks have just been full of this from headlines. In fact, yesterday uh, we hosted a service uh, in this room uh, here in Wilmington for a young man, uh, 20 years old, who had taken his own life, and this is the second in that friend group. And uh, the questions of why and how and all the different things emerged. And a lot of you in here knew him and are friends of his. And something we know has happened, something that's happened for some of you you're in here and you've struggled because you've sort of hid behind this mantra of fine, fine, everything's fine for a really long time. And you know underneath that it's not fine. And it's not that it's not fine because there's emotional instability or whatever. It's just because something feels like has been eroded out from underneath us. Something has just sort of been removed and we're, we're walking on uh, you know, sort of thin ice, so to speak, just waiting for it all to crack out from underneath us. And so we wonder, is there a way for us to live differently, to be differently, to feel differently in a world if it doesn't get less broken? And this is how we started. I've been kind of mulling on this um, for the last few months, but um, really kind of going back to even at the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic, looking through my journals. What I realized is, too, a lot of people say, Mike, you know, these have been really difficult decisions to make during the pandemic. And here's the thing. They're not, they're not difficult decisions. They're impossible decisions. The decisions that you have been left with and faced with, that we've been sort of faced with, they're not just hard. Many of them are impossible. You don't have the information necessary. You can't find the information. And I know people who, you know, lean on, you know, oh yeah, what's well, really simple if you just find, you know, and I, I, I've heard it all. Uh, and I'm telling you, there is something else that we've got to set our eyes on and fix our eyes on. Because if you are trusting in information on either one side or the other, you are more than likely going to miss the foundation that is necessary for the life that you've been created for. So this is how um, I want us to think about this and, and, and ask the question this morning is how do you deal with what's broken? Last week we talked about navigating it. To navigate, there's a, there's a level of obedience and faith that we're talking about, but today how do you deal with it? Like really deal with it. Do you just say fine, fine, everything's fine? Do we try to kind of hide or pretend or deny? I don't know how many of you guys um, are optimists in here and how many of you guys would lean uh, pessimists. I'm, I'm usually very optimistic and I found myself sort of tilting at times. Anybody felt that? You just feel like, that's why I kind of, you know, I needed mush month to sort of sort this out. 
And I'm about 85% picked uh, with my word. I've been through my personal retreat a couple of times, and I hopefully will finish all that up uh, this week. Um, someone said, can we believe that next week is still January? And I was like, thank goodness, because I need a few more days to get all this together. And what God did is he created us in his own image. And in the fall, and this is the last couple weeks, I don't have time to do this again, but this image, I don't know if I can do a dashed heart, that's coming together pretty nicely. And in this, our hearts have just sort of been fragmented, or the word that we used last week is there's this disintegration of the image in which we have been created. Fragmentation. So this image that we were born into or create, designed into, created into, has been disintegrated, shattered, pulled apart. And in that, it has disoriented the way in which we relate to other people. There's a disorientation to our lives. And the reason I draw it like this, because we go, oh, well, that looks like a way of life. That's the problem, because it's, we're disoriented. Instead of trying to live and make sure that what happens on one side equally happens on the other, we've never been able to find a center, a center from which everything else flows, from which sort of holds and supports everything else that we experience and contribute to the world around us. And then ultimately, it's sort of a, a deformation that somehow, if you want to put some little fancy things around this, we'll make this like a, a mirror. We don't like who we've become. There's a, a deformation. Something has happened from this. This is no longer the experience. So this is the condition of, of brokenness. And what I've tried to connect this back to is the gospel and that is the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it, to do two things. Number one is to save sinners, and number two is to establish his kingdom. They're actually synonymous. They're actually the same thing, but it's broken into sort of two ways for us to think about it. To save sinners and to establish his kingdom. And I've been, you know, kind of jumping up and down on this horse for quite a while um, because it freed me. And um, to save sinners, most of us think that God washed us white as snow, and then we get to like, live in heaven uh, when we die, and then you scratch your head because you wonder why you still do dumb things. Anybody here like ask God to forgive them and then never sinned again? Is that anybody's experience? So what's wrong with us, or what's wrong with the gospel, or what's wrong with God, or what, what's wrong? And what he's doing is he's reforming. He's forming us, reshaping us, remaking us. And there's, there's, there's a way in which we live in this world. And then there's a way in which we are designed. And these are, this is a, a rule, a foundation upon which we build our lives. And what you and I have to do, and I begin to think about this, is that sin, you know, when we take sin seriously, and that's really the challenge, is to take sin seriously, not to feel guilty about it, not to feel more guilty about it, but to take it seriously because there is a trajectory to it. It continues a pattern or a path for our lives the longer we sort of hold on, tame, play games, or whatever it is that you do with it. 
And what I've been kind of toying with or, or thinking about or considering in my own sort of personal world is what is the relationship when he says he came to save sinners, which he did so by offering forgiveness. I mean, this is, you know, I could go through and, and, and we could go through the entire Bible and find these places. This is the overall art. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, it said, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, right, Christ died for us. He, he brought us forgiveness. And what I found is the more that I take sin seriously, my own sin, but also sin in general, the more forgiveness has a glory to it, there's a beauty to it. And so we take sin seriously, we find, we begin to be reminded that there is a, a beauty to what God has done. And this is what reconciles us back into the way that we are supposed to live. So that's all the setup um, for today. One of the things I love, Dallas Willard, again, he's one of my heroes. Dallas Willard said this. Um, he said that Jesus is about the redemption of actual life from actual sin. It's not theoretical. It's something that has to happen in you and in me and the way you and I live our lives day in and day out. If you've been around Port City a long time, you know that I have these three sort of core convictions. If God created life, and this is not what the message is about, so I'm gonna rattle these off. You won't have time to write them down. But if God created life, then he alone gets to define it. Um, the second one is that every longing at its core is a longing for life. Every instinct inside of us longs for something that's connected to what we've received in our, in our being and what God has intended us and called us to be. So I began to think, like, what is the, what is the core desire of human heart? Because today I want to talk about, I wanna, we're going to give a picture of redemption next week. But today I want to talk about what if, what if the desires of your heart found redemption? What if there was a redemption of desire? So that the things that you actually long for were inclined, they were no longer deceptive, which we all know that we're prone to. The rule of sin is that. The rule of sin is that our desires have now become the purpose. They don't serve the purpose. They've become the chase of our lives. It's interesting, philosophers for years have talked about this and tried to understand it. And, and we kind of live in the modern world, which is really influenced by uh, a lot of German philosophy. Some of you probably heard these names, Karl Marx or Friedrich Nietzsche or Sigmund Freud, right? You've heard these guys before. Um, other philosophers talk about them and refer to them as the masters of suspicion. And the reason is because they couldn't imagine how any human being would do something on behalf of another, uh, for another person without demand for anything in return. Now, you know, Nietzsche's famous for talking about God being dead and, and Marx. They're all, you know, trying to, trying to figure out how can this be. And it's interesting that, that all of them arrive at different uh, sort of trajectories or, or root desires of human beings. This is a drastic oversimplification, but if you read, you'll, you'll, you'll see this. Um, you know, Karl Marx tends to think that human beings are motivated by money, like there's an economic drive to it, which is what led to his philosophy. Um, uh, Sigmund uh, Frederick Nietzsche thought that, that power was what kind of drove humans the, 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 uh, to get and to hold power. In fact, his beef with Christianity was that he thought anybody who, like when, when weaker people uh, ask stronger people to serve them or to love them or to value them, it's just a way to manipulate them because they can't do it by force. And he writes all about this. And then Sigmund Freud, he thought that the root of all of our pursuits, anybody guesses on this one? Right, sex. 
So you kind of have money, power, and sex. These are the drivers. And you just sort of test yourself, how are we affected by this? And I would assume all of us at some level can look and say, how, how does this bother us? How does this affect us? And power doesn't mean you want to be in office. Power means you might want to be in control. Right? For some of you, your whole, you have been hurt your whole life and you've resolved that you're never going to be that way again. And so you use your power to control your circumstances or perhaps other people. We all have this sort of thing. So the question is, what is the essence of human desire? What I believe it is, is I believe that the essence of all human desire is the fullness of the image for which we have been created and the life that we long for, which is the very love of God. It's love. It's love. Now, I'm not talking about hearts and roses and pastels. I'm talking about a gritty love that requires something from us, but more importantly, that does something to us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look in Colossians chapter two. We're gonna kind of make this thread um, together. Um, I wanna give you a really quick uh, overview of last week, and then I wanna talk about what the fall did, because what happened in disintegration, disorientation, and, and deformation are tragedies. They, they undermine and erode something. That in this idea of, of disintegration, what forgiveness does is it returns us to a foundation upon which we can live. It returns us to a foundation. This idea of being disoriented, right? It, it, the, the call is that we are, um, that what we, we need to be, um, there's a way for us where we become uh, we need to be reoriented, and there were ways we talked about this last week. And then um, the, the deformation. Now, I want to think about this in terms of there's a redemption of these things. So I sat down and made some practices. Uh, we talked about this last week, and I've written them like this, and we'll put this on the screen. But the practice of, of disintegration, or the practice that goes on the spiritual practice, we said that confession and repentance is spiritual practice for the purpose of wholeness. For you to name, like when you say fine, fine, everything is fine, it just continues to leave things in the dark. To name things, to say this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what has affected me, you bring it out of the dark and you bring it into the light. You name something. That's what confession and repentance do. And it is, it is a spiritual practice. It's not just a psychological practice. It's a spiritual practice that actually brings us or begins to restore us to the way, to the image in which we've been created. That's what, we're, that's what we're trying to find. The second one, we talked about this, is that worship is spiritual practice for the purpose of orientation. To, and I, I do this using the scriptures. When I, when I read, I'm not just trying to self-talk. I'm trying to get my eyes on God, who are you? And we're going to talk about this a little bit more specifically in a minute on who are you and how, you know, how can I just sort of sit and rest. It's not trying to figure it out, but just to let my mind rest in the reality of what God has done for me. Because then what happens is there's a centeredness to this. What a lot of us do, we try to calculate forgiveness by using the scales and figure out how did God do this instead of coming to the center of things where that, where that foundation is sure and can hold the weight of what we deal with. And so worship, it's not, just, it's not just to worship 
uh, in song, although that's important, but it's, it's, to, it's to declare that he is worthy of your life, that he is worthy and he is faithful, and, and to get our eyes on him. And then third is an obedience to just sometimes just to step in because we trust him, even though we can't figure it out. It's the spiritual practice um, that shapes how we become more like him. It's not just acting like him. It actually does something in us. So these are practices. So <clears throat> that, that's from last week. So here's what I want us to see because my premise is that the essence of desire, everything that you're chasing, more money, right, better looks, you know, to feel all those things are rooted in some desire, this longing to be alive, uh, to be alive and that life comes from God in the way he intended and originally created us and it is demonstrated for us in his love. We were made to be loved by God. Um, you know, it's, if, human being, if God is love and human beings are made for love, then it stands to reason that human beings, you know, uh, are made for God. And that's the image part. So that's how my, my brain processes this. So the problem is in this state, love gets undermined. And there are some cheap substitutes. I just want to test yourself. And then let's kind of back in and see what we can do differently. Um, I have long talked about, because when I think about this, to be loved is the essence of all longing. And it is so deeply affected by our own disintegration, by the own sort of split in our souls, that it affects everything else. And what happens is love becomes, how it gets undermined is that this desire, this built-in desire that we have to be seen and to be known, for people to recognize us of having worth and dignity and value, it gets undermined. And attention becomes a cheap substitute. It becomes just getting noticed and getting attention. And our culture just invents endless tools for us to do this. Right? It's, it's you know, the way you dress to draw attention to your body or particular parts of your body or the way you don't dress to do that, whatever you would choose to do that. It's, it's social media and how you can present things to deliberately get noticed, liked, commented on. And more than likely, the things that you do that get attention, guess what's going to happen? Guess what our brains do? It's like, let's repeat that again. And you get stuck in cycles, attention cycles. And some of us, our, our attention cycles have to do with our physical looks or the way people perceive us and our success. Or for some of us, the way we get attention is in our struggles. And so you continually present your struggle to the world and you get all this attention for it. And guess what's going to keep happening? You become, you over-identify with those things because love, what you've been made for, has been undermined. And attention is a cheap substitute for love. Number two is there's a desire for us to contribute and to offer ourselves to the world. Right? To, to create and to contribute. That is a natural desire. That's something that I think is built in to us and it serves God's purposes and what he's commanded and asked of us to do. But it gets undermined, and it becomes sort of a cheap exchange. And, and what happens is the way in which we learn how to get things done 
isn't so much by, or the way we, the way we get value isn't so much by contributing, but it's really a continuation of this. And I've said it like this, that in the absence of being loved, oh, in the absence of being loved, we will often resort to manipulation. My hair looks so bad today. And you say, what? No, it doesn't, Mike. It's as good as it's ever looked before. Oh, thank you. Can you tell me again? And what have I done? I've extracted value by manipulating you, by making you feel badly for me. And love is undermined. I can't exchange, I can't offer, because I'm taking, I'm extracting. And love is undermined. And what I want you to, I want, I want, I want you to get in your brain, don't you go, oh, I do that, or I'm married to someone who does that, or I have a boyfriend who does that, or a girlfriend who does that. Don't, don't start feeling guilty. Recognize this is the fundamental problem. This is what sin does, and it is its trajectory. And if you remain in it, it will only continue and grow. That's what you need to understand. And then thirdly, that this desire that we have to sort of offer ourselves and this continuation of this is reduced to control. And when you can't manipulate any longer, you'll just Take control. And this is how sin always erupts in violence. Always. It's never static. It's never neutral. In fact, I was told this. I've, I've done too many, I wasn't planning on talking about suicide today, but I've done too many funerals for suicides and people don't say anything. Because it's a shame thing. That's why people sort of isolate and stay alone in this. But when you think about this, if you've ever had a sense where you're internally sort of disintegrated and you can feel it in your soul, and then something happens, what is the outburst like? What is the expression like? Is it calm? Is it, oh, I think I'll sit down and drink hot tea and mull over all this anger that I'm feeling. What happens when someone cuts you off in traffic? Is it a, oh, well. You're like, blah, it's, it's always violent. When, you get, when, you, when something happens inside of you, that's why you punch walls or throw things because it's, it's, it's what happens when we can no longer do this. It erupts in violence. And sometimes that violence turns in on ourselves. This is the wickedness of disintegration of sin and its trajectory. This is why the good news of the gospel is so important. That while you remained in your mess, God demonstrated his love for you by sending his son for you to return you to the way in which you've been created to live. And this is what he says in Colossians chapter two. And he says, and this is, this is I mean, we could go through the whole book, it would just take us nine hours, and I don't wanna do that to y'all today. Right, there were kids in Grow Zone, they wouldn't like it either, nor the volunteers. So we're gonna just squeeze it a little. 
Verse 20 of chapter 2, the book of Colossians. Since then you have died with Christ. This is what happens in the gospel, that when we come to him, we are crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. There is a reunion of the relationship for which we are intended. So the same relationship that was broken destroyed everything. The reconciliation of that relationship is the same relationship that begins to restore everything. So that your worth and your value and those things are now coming from somewhere else. You don't have to extract them or manipulate them. The way you offer yourself to the world, you don't have to try and manufacture or control or prove. And it's going to take you some time to get used to that because we've been living in this other way so long. We're going to talk about that in the next series. But I just want, I want us to get our feet underneath us and find a center point today. Since you have died with Christ to the elementary, uh, elemental spiritual forces of this world, and he calls them spiritual forces. These are not just bad feelings or tough days. There is a spiritual reality to all of this. This is what he says. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle or do not touch or do not, uh, do not taste or do not touch. Do you see what he, what he establishes there? Why, as though you still belonged under this system, why do you still submit to its rules? And we all have reasons why. Right, we all have reasons why. Because it works. I've lived 15 years like this. Look at what I've been able to do. Why would I change now? Because you know somehow you're slowly being ripped apart and it's creating a wake in the life around you, and you're not living. You know the kind of person you're becoming. Right? So, but he's asking this sort of, he says, there's a rule in which you've been, and we've now been moved into another rule. The rule of God's love. Where we don't have to live like that anymore. It doesn't have authority over us anymore. And he goes on, he says, these rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, and he's talking about the law and all the ways we've tried to curtail our behavior. Um, based on merely human commands and teachings, I had to edit right there. I was like, real quick edit, because there was like three more paragraphs, so I had to edit. But look at what he says in verse 23. Such regulations, they indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in doing what? Restraining desire. The, the word that's in the New International Version is sensual indulgence, which is, it's, it's accurate. It's, it's, it really means the indulgence of the flesh. It's anything that pulls us that's governed by this world. It's desires, it's power, it's money, it's sex, it's chase, it's conquest. You simply trying to manufacture something will never curtail your desires. That's what I began to notice. And this is what we have to understand. This, this is about our desires being redeemed. Can it happen? Like, can it really happen to you? Can, could Jesus do that for you? Keep reading. It goes into the next chapter. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Do what? Set your heart on the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is a picture of his rule and his reign and his authority, not you getting to walk on streets of gold after you die. 
Set your hearts in this place. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we're saying. That's the picture in our head. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. You keep stalking Instagram and all the things that we look at, guess what is more than likely going to happen to your heart? It is going to be formed into the image of the things that you set your eyes on, the things that you put in your mind. Because set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you, you have died. That old way is gone, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God, restored and renewed. And I love this. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That is this, this incredible reconciliation when all things are made new. But until then, we gotta live. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think you gotta remember, you gotta name things, you gotta stay in the game, you gotta set your mind, you gotta set your heart. It's gonna take guts, it's gonna take sweat, it's gonna take wrestling, it's gonna take tears, it's gonna take you and I working together. This is not gonna happen as you just go about yourself, get yourself together, and then come back to the church next week. We're gonna have to do this together. There's too much at stake to not have the conversations and not be honest about what we're feeling and sensing and experiencing together. I love this, and I'm gonna just, you know, you, many of you have heard this, but, but Paul writes about this, and you've probably heard this sort of trajectory. He's like, we've been given this peace of God. That something that God has done has restored us to the sense of peace that we have and we can navigate this world with a deep sense of peace. And then he says this, and we, so we, we glory in the hope that we have in God. We, 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 say, we, we know we have hope, but he says we don't just glory in the hope that is there, but there's something else to us. We actually glory in our struggles. Sufferings is actually the word. We, we glory in the hard things, which is what this is. Make no mistake, the battle for your mind it's a war for your soul. It's, it's not, let's just think nice thoughts about one another and about the world. And what he says is, he says that we know that, that struggle produces perseverance. You've heard this before. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And there's this trajectory or this, and I think it is the trajectory, trajectory of redemption. But look at how Paul describes the reason this hope does something. Verse, chapter five, verse five, it says, and the hope does not disappoint or put to shame. The hope doesn't disappoint us is really how it would read. It doesn't leave you wanting. Why? Because what? Because God's love has now made its way back in to here, and we now become filled with him. This is, the, this, is, this is the picture throughout the scriptures. This isn't about you trying to do better. It's about you making yourself available for what God has already done. It's about trusting and believing. And you've got to sort of, the, the way in which the psalmist, and we're, we see this throughout the scriptures, is to remember the way I was like, how do you deal with the world? How do we deal with this? Well, you remember. And remembrance isn't just like intellectualist, and it's to enter in. Actually, in some places, it means to name things. This is exactly what Jeremiah modeled in his famous book of Lamentations at the end. Uh, it's known as the Weeping Prophet. It's a, he says this. I remember my affliction and my wandering. 
He uses like old language, right? Bitterness and gall. I remember how tough this was or is. I remember it well, and I feel it deeply. Do you see that? My soul is downcast. I feel it deeply. So the, 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 the permission is it's okay to like go, yeah, this is tough. And yeah, things aren't like we necessarily want. But then we have to do like the Paul thing and set our minds on the reality that we have been brought into. And this is what he says. So yet I then call this to mind. There's these two things that begin to sort of come together and they land in this place. And what he says is that I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. And this hope does not disappoint. That great is your faithfulness, God. With every single day, your mercies come to me and they are sufficient for the moment that I am in. And they are sufficient in the moment that I'm in. And I step into the next one and it recurs again and it recurs again and it occurs again and again and again as we walk with him. And as we do that, we find this to be more and more and more true that our hope does not disappoint us. Not because things didn't work out, but because God's love has been poured on us and we are being restored and redeemed and renewed into the image which we've been created to. And this returns us to the foundation that is Jesus Christ. A lot of us keep trying to put our stock in how well we obey him or how committed we are to him instead of just putting your feet squarely, your whole heart squarely on who he is and what he has done and let him support the full weight of everything you feel. You ever tried to struggle with your sin with like kind of one foot, you don't want to put too much weight on him? God, if you'll forgive this part, I'll take care of the rest. The practice of us being returned is to just name it. Stop playing games. Stop acting like you believe when you're struggling to believe and just name it. Get some people involved with you and name it. Remember it. And when you find that you do these and and, and you do this and the foundation holds You find a little bit of rest and freedom and hope. And this hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because it's exactly, right? You're being returned to exactly what he has created you to be. And that's we're going to talk about how to live in this, right? Today, you just got to see where your feet are, where your feet are. I want to pray this prayer over us and we're going to, Sing a song together. This is from the personal retreat, kind of modified. It says, Lord, once again, I'll go over what you have done. I'll ponder all the things that you've accomplished and I'll give a long, loving look at your acts. There have been things that have brought joy and things that have brought tears. Circumstances that have brought deeply felt joy while others pain and loss but your presence was with me in every high and every low I'll receive this as evidence of your faithfulness of your provision and your care throughout it all and as I reflect I trust I trust that what I've experienced actually matters because with you nothing is wasted so I will remember And I'll recall the joys 
and the trials. And gratitude rises because they have brought me here to this place and to this moment. Where each day is a part of the story, but it is not the whole. And hope rises because of your unfailing faithfulness. Each day is where I find your ready mercy and sufficient grace and a renewed invitation to life. And so I remember and I have hope. I set my heart and I set my mind on the only foundation for life, for the life I've been created for. And this is the life that I find in you, King Jesus. Father, in these moments, would you give us faith to believe that? We are so used to the ways of this world to extract worth and value when you've given it. In fact, you have made it into us and then made a way to redeem it in us. Would you fill us with your love and let our feet rest on the only foundation that can support the weight of the life we've been created for. And our lives are actually in you and for you. I lift this name of your son, Jesus, who is our King.